Good morning. Uh, or good evening, whatever whatever time it is you're, you're listening to this podcast. Um, I am Michael Sturrock. I am from the External Affairs team here at the DMA. With me is John Mitchison. Good morning. And Zach Thornton. Hello. And we are recording live from the DMA's ground floor, uh, where we have a, a big sort of meeting space. So you may hear some telephones or coffee machine or disgruntled marketers. Um, so yeah, it's been a, been a couple of weeks since we, we uh, spoke to you last. And there's, as ever, there's been seemingly a load of developments in politics, but there's also not that much that's actually happened at the end of the day. So um, yeah, Zach, Zach, what's been what's been happening? Uh, well, I think we we feel like we've hit the point of uh, peak peak Brexit. People, mm. I'm, I'm personally completely exhausted by uh, the news changing by the minute. I find it, even though I'm paid to do it, quite hard to follow what's actually going on um, regarding Brexit at the moment. But I suppose the major things that have happened since we last spoke is that the Prime Minister's deal was voted down for a third time. And she's now uh, put, reached out an olive branch to Jeremy Corbyn and decided to involve, officially involve Labour in uh, debating how they can somehow break the political impasse that exists uh, within Parliament, which has caused of angered a lot of uh, yeah. Tories and uh, MPs and members. And there's been lots of Twitter images of Conservative supporters cutting out the membership cards in uh, anger yeah. at her reaching out to, to, to Corbyn and, and the Labour Party. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it, it does feel like like you said, we've reached a bit of a peak here. I mean, there's been numerous times in the past where people have said, oh, you know, this is it, this is the crux of it, this is the, <laughs> this is the vote, or whatever it is. But I do think that we have hit a point now where all of the dates seem to be meaningless anymore. You know, originally it was the uh, the 29th of March, and that was that was the drop-dead date, but now that's that's all been thrown to the wind. It could be anything now, couldn't it, the, mm-hmm. our leaving date? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's been a couple of... Uh, extension proposals that have come out this morning, uh, literally as we've we've been on air just 30 seconds before. So uh, the first was from Theresa May, who asked for an extension until the 30th of June. And quite soon after that, Donald Tusk, who is the uh, president of the EU Council, he came back and suggested that they have some kind of flextension which is a, yeah, which, and all these anagrams and things that come out of Brexit is just as kind of, remember when there was a debate about Brexit as a word and whether that was, that was actually <laughs> valid and now it's just this kind of common lexicon. Anyway, so, um, yeah, Donald Tusk says that he are offered some kind of flexible extension uh, until the 31st of March next year, which would kind of allow the, e, uh, the UK, if, if we pass the deal in that time, to say, OK, right, we're ready to leave now, essentially. So that's... You know, just widening or kicking kicking the can so far down the road that we I can kind of be a bit more flexible in that time. Yeah, I'm not. I don't, I'm not sure whether Theresa May has responded to that call from mm. Donald Tusk uh, yet, but I imagine she'd be quite wary of doing that because in the past, well, she's requested an extension up to the 30th of June because mm. that I think is the accepted time period the UK could have an extension and probably not take part in European elections. Yeah. Um, so hence why I probably should just request it to then. Mm-hmm. If it goes longer than that, the UK has to take part in the European elections mm-hmm. and that could complicate the process. So whether Theresa May will be open to a longer extension, which yeah. Donald Tusk is uh, suggesting remains to be seen. Um, but I did think that the date, um, you know, having a firm date of leaving, you know, whether or not we'd come to an agreement would um, bring people together and make them, you know, come, come up or agree with a plan, yeah. um, and that doesn't seem to have happened. So the threat of a no deal does not hasn't brought people to a consensus. I think that this date of the 30th of June um, is probably 
It's the last realistic day, isn't it? Because yeah. after that, we just have to agree to be in the EU for another year. Yeah, essentially, um, yeah. And put, put MEPs in, in the EU, etc. So. Yeah, which seems completely contrary to you know what everybody's agreed to so far. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, there's, there's, I suppose there are assertions flying about that voting to leave the EU means we have to do it in two years and that not doing it by the 29th of March is this massive scandal when, you know, there wasn't any real timetable proposed and actually the proposals by the Brexiteers before were, were to have things like customs unions and there's coats trotted out by people like Steve Baker, the one of the ERG chief people, and Boris Johnson who have all said, oh yes, of course, we want the, the closest relationship as possible with the EU and single market and mm -hmm. customs union, but now that's just an unacceptable Brexit to most of them, which yeah. is quite, quite interesting. I mean, I think... Parliament set the time period originally because yeah. obviously those people who support Brexit were worried that the establishment, as, as, as they see it, would try and take Brexit away from them. Mm. So by setting a time limit on it, they sort of guaranteed themselves that they were going to get it at some point, yeah. um, whether that was with a deal or not. So I see why, if, you're, if, if you support Brexit, you would want that time limit there because it helps reassure that you, that you are going to get Brexit in the end. Mm. Although, of course, now many people becoming quite disillusioned that might happen anyway. Yeah, I think the major problem right now, the major cleave, is that the two, and the reason why we have a political impasse is because Labour and Conservative are both split down the middle. So Labour has its traditional working class base, and then it has its new supporters, which tend to be sort of university graduates, quite middle class type people, mm. who are obviously massive champions of staying in the EU, but its traditional working class base voted heavily against uh, the EU. The Conservative Party have a similar split, you know, those people that favour globalisation and tend to want to stay within the European Union and obviously they're um, probably the majority of their party who, who support Brexit. So both are split and they're trying to keep their parties together mm. and they're finding it very hard to reconcile those two competing groups within their parties. So, so it, obviously this isn't a party political issue. Can you, can you envisage a time or any way in which you know, this, this issue could be solved? I mean, is there a deal, is there a deal possible that would satisfy both sides? I'm, I'm not sure. It feels like Brexit was a catalyst between, is a catalyst to some sort of political realignment. Whether we end up with new parties, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, probably unlikely. But the Conservative and Labour Party will have to change to reflect yeah. the, the new divisions in society because we're used to having two parties that argue with each other based on um, you know, left or right wing economic theory. Whereas in the new divides in society aren't really about those yeah. old those old divides. They're quite new, and they're mm -hmm. around Brexit and cultural issues and identity and things like that. Yeah. In, in sort of recent political history, they used to talk about a sort of liberal consensus that came about with Thatcher and then Major and then Blair and indeed Brown and Cameron. They were all kind of, you know, while they were from the two different parties, they were all fairly centrist and actually towed mm -hmm. the line in terms of what needs to happen to the economy and to society and you know liberalisation of of social laws and move towards uh, capitalism and, and, and all that. So what I guess the problem is now is that actually people are starting to wonder, oh, is this the, uh, is this the right course? Even on the right you have, which, which were traditionally the, the hardline capitalists, you have them wondering whether protectionist economic measures are now the things that should be, should be uh, put to the fore. And then on the left, there's, there's a lot about globalisation and want, yeah, wanting to remain in the EU and things like that and have sort of common, common partnerships with people all around the world. So there's sort of a debate about how that all will fall in the next in the next while. And there was quite interesting in, in the 2010 election, because there was a recognition of, the, or recognition rather, of this coming to the fore, David Cameron sort of anticipated that to an extent and suggested 
when they went into coalition with the Liberals that actually perhaps a new voting system that would probably give coalitions all the time might be necessary to kind of better facilitate how Parliament works going forward, need, the need to balance these views in a more constructive way rather than sort of smashing through majoritarian uh, policies and, and, and alignments. But because that failed, I mean, we've ultimately yeah. ended up with this the, the, the two main camps, Labour and Conservative, being occupied with everyone from the middle way out to the extremes instead of having the extremes represented by smaller parties who yeah. might get a say every so often you've got mm -hmm. them all shoved into the main two parties and actually now towing the line and are, are rather deciding the line of what what the party should do yeah yeah I, I mean i completely agree i remember being told at school um how a political system you know was so good because it delivered strong mm. and, sta and stable governments and that yeah. was the whole reason we had a first past the post electoral system yeah um but seeing as it seems to consistently de de deliver yeah, exactly. the opposite of that at the moment, it begs the question that we should change it. Yeah, and you tell Angela Merkel that she's got a weak government when she runs a <laughs> always run coalition governments and compare that to Theresa May, then you've yeah. got sort of <laughs> the validity of the, the strength of government argument somewhat fails, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think but in terms of actual Brexit predictions, it's hard to know, I think, for anybody now um, what the final uh, deal will be. I mean, it's obviously still quite likely that the UK could leave um, without any deal. Well, I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, because we, we had the threat of a no deal, um, and as, as that became more and more imminent, we've extended. Mm -hmm. And now, um, you know, we see that the EU have offered us an extension for a whole 12 months. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that <laughs> 12 months is a good I did think that the shortness of time would would make people Is it? come to a come to a conclusion mm. on this, and now we're being offered another extension of twelve months. If at the end of twelve months we're still in this same position, yeah, I you know it, well, I think it's going to be a, a pretty tough EU that goes okay. We've had enough, and you are going to leave yeah. with a no deal. I, I think that I suppose the, the whole threat of no deal seems to be putting anybody off anything. Yeah, and I think that's the, the change of tactics now, that is that realisation, because as we know, Theresa May has uh, said for ages that no deal is better than a bad deal. And she came out last night and said that, when she was going to seek her extension, and she said that, you know, reiterated that, but still said that reaching a deal is better. So clearly she's just not actually she's never been convinced that actually no deal is better yeah. than a bad deal and she will want to, but she's kind of maintained that from a negotiation standpoint and I guess the EU have played along with that for a while but now everyone's realised okay that doesn't actually work let's try something else but I think if you're a business owner you do have to prepare for the, the possibility yeah. of, of a no deal yeah. although we're saying that it possibly is less likely you can't think that way because it could happen you have to prepare yes. for the worst so if, you, if, if, if you're a marketer that means you know looking at whether you trade data and exchange data with EU-based companies or have EU-based clients mm. and making sure that you have the right legal mechanisms in place yeah. in case of a no-deal Brexit, which would be standard contractual clauses, and we have lots of information about that on the demo website. So mm. definitely make sure you prepare for that eventuality because you need to have plans in place. Absolutely, yeah. The one, one other development that is, well, still happening actually was yesterday, uh, was it the day before? No, yesterday, uh, Yvette Cooper, who is one of the... Uh, I suppose leads Labour people in all, in all this uh, came together with Oliver Letwin and they proposed a new bill that would, in the case that no deal was happening tomorrow, would force 
the Prime Minister to go and seek a, an extension with the, the government. And that's the developments for today means that's slightly less important, but that's still currently passing through through Parliament and the Lords. And if that comes into law, then I guess that's some kind of guarantee against no deal. But, that, but that's the crux of the problem, isn't it? That you have the uh, Cooper Letwin Amendment. Mm. So Parliament's in favour of preventing a no deal, but yep. it still can't decide a positive option, because whenever, whenever they've been given so far a series of indicative votes to yeah. decide what there could be a majority for, yeah. there is a majority for absolutely nothing, yeah. apart from what they don't want, which is a no-deal Brexit. Mm. There, was a, there was the exciting moment in Parliament yesterday again when, for the first time in 26 years, there was a tie in the votes, and that was that they were having a vote on whether to have more indicative votes on Monday to <laughs> decide whether they went away. And convention says, so the Speaker only casts a vote when there is a draw, and he has cast a vote against the, against the motions because he doesn't want to create a majority where there is none. So, so they couldn't even decide whether to or not to have more more votes. Yeah, it seems yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It I, tells you I, I, know, I know it's rather a flippant thing, but something I've just thought of was, um, you know, obviously I think Theresa May's been in this post for as long as she has because nobody else wants it and mm. she's just there to get this Brexit thing done. Uh, and recently, obviously, she, she um, offered to resign um, if her deal went through, and now the EU have offered her another year, yeah. <laughs> she must be. There's a, there's, she must be dreading it. There's a great quote from Nicola Sturgeon saying she was the only leader who tried to fall on her sword and missed. Which <laughs> <laughs> is brilliant. But yeah, I guess I guess she can sort of choose how she's going to be a martyr in all this because she's going to have to choose her way out. And she did offer her resignation to her own party if, if they supported a deal and they said, nope, you can stay there and still try and sort it out because we don't want to do that. And she'll just have to choose, basically. In a, in a way, she has already chosen, I think, what she's shown by inviting Labour into discussions. Mm. She's shown that she cares more about a deal and a softer Brexit than she does care about appeasing... The you know the hardline Brexiteers within the Tory Party, mm. the, the European Research Group, the Jacob Rees-Mogg's, the Boris Johnsons. But don't, don't you think this smacks a little bit of desperation, though? Uh, you know, at this at this stage, it's almost like she'll do anything. I mean, I, that feels like that's been how she's reacted to everything throughout the process. <laughs> at each stage, she jumped from one thing to the next, yeah. just hoping she'll survive one more day, one more week. Mm. Well, I, at the rate that she's survived so far, I just I don't think that there's any real um, real desire from anybody else to take her place. I mean, who would want to step into her role um, in, the, in this situation? Yeah. It would be mm. it's a you know, poison chalice. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. True. Yeah. Even yeah, but those who clearly do want to be Prime Minister, Michael Gold, Boris Johnson, etc., uh, Dominic Rabb, they, yeah, they just want her to get the difficult bit out of the way, which is very, mm. uh, very nice. So, uh, going back to um, the fact that Theresa May uh, sort of offered to resign. I've got the latest email here from my father. Oh, as we excellent, all know, the, excellent. Uh, emails from my father mm -hmm. provide a little bit of light relief yep. in the office. Lifelong um, Tory supporter, never reads anything other than the, the Daily Telegraph. Um, obviously thoroughly upset with the way things have been going. Of course. Latest email. He's given up re writing to uh, Jeremy Hunt. Um, he wrote directly to Theresa May. Uh, Good afternoon, Miss May. He says, one of us had to go, I suppose, and it looks like it has to be me. <laughs> right, so 
Yes. <laughs> after after lifelong support of the Tories, he's now given up his membership. Yeah. Uh, much like in some of the others. Uh, I, I think don't know if he actually cut up his card. Oh if well. He, if he had a Twitter account, I'm sure we'd see a picture of it on there. But, Absolutely. Um, well, I think I think we need to get a picture of him cutting up his card <laughs> so we can feature it on our on our next uh, article. I'll have to own up that I talk about him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> I saw um, that. That was another email to Mr. Hunt. I like the first line of that. Oh yeah, the previous one, oh, yeah. Mr. Hunt. What did that say? Um, <laughs> good morning, Mr. Hunt. Or is it? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and is there? Um, yeah. So that's that's pretty much all that's happening in Brexit at the moment, I guess. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. What else is on the cards? What's been happening? Any any big news, marketing wise, or actually, what I was something I'd like to flag up. So we have a. Uh, repeat listeners, if you're interested in politics, we are sponsoring the debating group's annual parliamentary reception on the 24th of June. Uh, the debating group, uh, they bring together the key trade associations in marketing and media and the host debates in parliament. But their annual reception is a chance for to come network you know, with senior civil servants, MPs, and hear uh, an address from the, uh, the, the president of the group, which is the uh, Dame Cheryl Gillen, who's a member of parliament for the Conservative Party. Um, so we'll be, we'll be sponsoring that on the 24th of June, so go on the Dame website and have a look for tickets. Uh, and do come along and join us for an evening of networking with MPs and to hear the inside scoop on the latest Brexit gossip. Fab. Excellent. All right, well, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much. See ya.